Are you wandering in the wilderness? Or are you a voice in the wilderness? Welcome to the Revival Cry podcast. This is your host, Eric Miller. Isaiah 40 verse 3 says, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. The goal of this podcast is to encourage you to use the voice God has given you to make Jesus famous. Every week, we will share principles from the Word of God, interviews, and encouragement in order to strengthen your voice. Thank you for joining me today. And now here is today's podcast. I want to talk to you guys today about discipleship, God's solution to eradicate poverty. Discipleship, God's solution to eradicate poverty. In Isaiah 58 verses 6 through 8, and now I got this message yesterday, so be patient with me. Uh, I had something else I thought I was going to talk about, but then I really felt this kind of drop on me yesterday for you all. Isaiah 58 verses 6 through 8 It says, is this not the fast that I have chosen? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke? Is this not to share your bread with the hungry? And that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out? When you see the naked, that you cover him, and not hide yourself from your own flesh, then your light shall break forth like the morning. Your healing shall speed forth, shall spring forth speedily, and your righteousness shall go before you. Now, I know there's a lot more context there, but in regards to the topic of what we're talking about, I want us to connect the dots that revival is not only when we get right with God. See, when we come to the cross, we deal with our flesh. When we go through the cross, God starts to use us to impact flesh around us. And when we're changed... Internally, we should want to see other people's lives changed around us. And so Jesus went to the poor. Now, he went to all people, but it was the poor who received his word. And we'll make more sense out of that in a moment. But the connection here is, then your light shall break forth in the morning. I look at that as revival and awakening. I look at that as if we want to impact people, we don't just pray them to come to the church. We go to them by being the church. And then as God changes them, they will want to be here. And then we will see God impact our community in ways that we never would have before. You see, I believe this church has gone through, and we were here for a period of time, has gone through massive change. Even being here today and just sensing, wow, things Things are really progressing in the Lord uh, with you guys and and your pursuit of the Lord. It's it's not always revealed in numbers. It's, It's really not. In fact, a lot of times I'm noticing more and more and more, the bigger churches that we go to really lack prayer and really lack evangelism. And so the type of discipleship that we are, we are promoting in our church is really not based on people encountering Jesus. It's based on feeling better about themselves. But if we stick to the principles of the word of God and know what God has spoken to us and do not give up in doing what God has said to do, then we will bear fruit as we put our roots below, fruit will come above. We have to believe that. And I'm going to skip down to verse 12 there. It says, those from among you shall build the old waste places or rebuild the old waste places. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations and you shall be called a repairer of the breach, a res- the restorer of streets to dwell in. If we want a genuine, authentic move of God, then we need to be a genuine, authentic people without compromising what we know to be true. Now, what about poverty? Well, there's nothing good about poverty. 
poverty came into the world as part of the effects of sin. There was no poverty in the garden. There was no lack. There was no shame. There was no fear. There was nothing that was wrong. When sin came, it brought death. And that's why God kicked Adam and Eve out of the garden. Because he had to show them the separation that sin brings between us and God. And I don't even know if the garden exists anymore. I, I don't think it does. But the fact of the matter is, is that God wasn't interested in just providing a place for people to escape the world or go back to the garden. He actually wanted to bring his spirit that dwelt in the garden to live on the inside of us. So we essentially become the Garden of Eden. We become where the presence of God dwells within us. We are free. We don't have to worry about, is it okay for us to come into the presence and the glory of the Lord? No, it belongs to us now. The blood of Jesus has been shed, and so we're not to come to God by our own works. We're not to come to God and say, how can I impress you or get you to like me? We just come to him simply because we humble ourselves before Jesus, and he says, let me wash your sin away and make you holy. Therefore, you're righteous to abide with me, and I will abide with you. Now, we've all heard this quote before, and I don't... I couldn't find who actually said it. It says, most people say it's unknown. But it says, if you give a man a fish, you feed him for a day. If you teach a man a fish, you feed him for a lifetime. Now, I want you to keep in mind what we're talking about today. Discipleship, God's solution to eradicate poverty. You know, I believe it's important to learn a trade. I wish I would have learned a trade growing up. You know, I'm a little jealous of guys like Danny who can like, you know, build all kinds of stuff. If I get a hammer, it, it usually to tear something down, okay? It's not to build up. Um, but I believe the trade that the Lord has taught me is how to become a man of prayer and how to be a man that depends upon the Lord. And I'm not saying anybody else here doesn't because I know Danny to be a man of prayer as well. I, I, I know this guy, a police officer, to be a man of God. I, I know people here, men and women of God, that serve the Lord wholeheartedly. Now, I'm not going to embarrass her, but I'm going to tell you, Miss Kathy is in the Word of God all day long. We, I hear it at night. I go by her room. I hear the Word of God going. She sits in this chair. She's, she's worshiping. She's reading the Word of God. And I told her the other day, I said, Kathy, Miss Kathy, are, are you reading the Bible too much? And she's got highlighters. she got two Bibles out in that chair. I mean, she's, she's diving in. I love that. I love that. And, and you were in the medical field, right, for, for, for many years and retired. And now she's giving her time to Jesus. She's not wasting it. She's not, you know, living a life of gossip. She's not giving herself over to fruitless things of this world. She recognizes she has great purpose. And God wants to use her. Why? Because she's been discipled to believe that. She does not have a poverty mentality. Her mentality is that greater is he who is in me than he that's in the world. So if this God lives in me, then everything I see around me, something's wrong and I feel like I need to do something about it. I believe it's important to develop a trade. Even more so, I believe we've got to learn how to read God's word, hear his voice, and apply his principles to our lives. You know, as parents, our goal is not just to teach our kids to become self-sufficient. You know, we see benefits on the Filipino side and the American side. American side, we have uh, much more independent thinking here, which can be a good thing and it can be a bad thing. And then in the Philippines, there's so much dependence that you might not leave your family's home until you're in your 30s. That goes against the culture here in America. But the amazing thing is, is that families are very close in the Philippines. So there's benefits 
and there's negatives as well on both sides. We need to learn how to be discipled to function according to God's word and his voice. And so as we're teaching our kids, our goal is to teach them how to walk with God and rely upon him for everything. I don't care if, if you know, Jonathan gets an engineering job and makes millions of dollars. If he doesn't rely on Jesus... It doesn't matter. But you can do both. We don't think so in the church because we've been taught to have a poverty mentality for the most part. But see, when we believe that God blessed Abraham and gave him all that he gave him and how significant that was and he'd be given this piece of property that for thousands of years later it still belongs to the Jewish people. I think that's pretty spectacular. I think that God is making a statement through that. And I don't believe Abraham went around and boasted of all that what he had. He was a man who was grateful. He even lived as a foreigner in a foreign land. But he had this mentality. He was discipled by the Lord. He was discipled and he, and by God's word and truth to bring him to a point in his life that even what he had didn't have him. And he was willing to fully give himself over so that he, his family, and all those generations and stars that would come after him would be a light to the world. The one reason I believe there's poverty today is because the church is not making disciples. And we talk about the Great Commission all the time. What we don't talk about is the content of what we're talking about when we talk about the Great Commission. Because just because somebody comes to church doesn't make them a Christian. Just because somebody gets water baptized doesn't mean that they're walking with God. Just because somebody completes a class, you understand, just because somebody's a missionary, it doesn't mean that our roots are strong in the Lord. And I know people on the other side of the world that don't live holy, take pictures of poor kids, send them back, and people send them droves of money. I know of circumstances and situations like that. But if we live in the fear of the Lord because we've been discipled that that matters, and that the love of the Father matters, then what we do when nobody else is around is important and God blesses it. And we will fulfill the Great Commission by truly making disciples. The goal of the Great Commission is to let the world know that Jesus is the answer. Once we're convinced that who Jesus is, then the disciples that you and I equip and pour into and lay our lives down for, they will lead the next generation of disciples out of whatever poverty sin has deceived us with. So whatever we are set free from, it should be our goal that those we pour into do not do the things that we did. Or what we learn from. Now we can't prevent everything. But what we can do is live a life and pour into our sons and daughters physically and spiritually in such a way that there's no doubt that we've been willing to pay a price. And our kids know that that's real. We're not perfect. My kids will tell you, I'm not perfect. Casey's not perfect. But I will tell you this, is that we endeavor to keep Jesus on the throne of our family's heart in everything we do. God's goal is not for us to live a flashy life or a false prosperity gospel. When Jesus changes our sin-filled poverty mentality, we will live under God's blessing. I'm talking about the type of discipleship that changes the world. In Malachi 4, 5, and 6, we know the scripture well. Behold, I will send you, Elijah the prophet, before the great and the coming, great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he will turn a heart to the fathers to the children, and a heart to the children of fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a curse. 
What is the curse? The curse is the curse of sin, is of a poverty mentality. When you take fathers out of homes, when you destroy marriages, when, when, when there's brokenness in families, it, it affects what we're trying to represent to the world of what the church should look like. And I know many of us have been affected by these things. And there's never a moment where what you have done is impossible for God to transform. I'm communicating with a husband right now who's committed adultery on his wife several times over the years. And they've been divorced for some years now. And I am assuming that he's gotten right with God because he's been writing me lately and I have not heard from him. And he's asking me to pray that his marriage would be restored. And while I absolutely believe that any marriage can be restored by the power of the Holy Ghost, I also know that we reap what we sow. And so some of the things that we struggle with, if she doesn't want to go back to him, well then, you can't blame her. Because scripturally, she was okay to do what they did. And while I don't condone that we just get divorced because we don't like somebody, the fact is, God provided divorce for situations like that. And it's painful. And when we endure some of these things, personally, we wonder how God can still use us. I want you to know the blood of Jesus is more powerful. He is able to forgive and to restore. But what I don't want to do is keep putting aside the principles of his word where I don't allow full restoration to take place in me. And then I keep falling into the same traps over and over and over again. And I say, well, God, well, why, why, why are you not coming to help me and do what my dream is of whatever it might be? Well, friend, I, there is a, a price that we have to pay for integrity. That we have to fight the good fight. And look, nobody wants to talk about these things now. Because we're always just trying to save face. We're always just trying to make things, you know, uh, oh, I'm okay, I'm fine. But when you have people who fall on their face consistently and say, God, search my heart and change me, I need you. And they don't just do that for a week or a month or a year, but it becomes their lifestyle. That's the type of people I believe God is looking for. He's not looking for perfect people. He's looking for people that value his perfection. And, and when we value it, we try to become a mirror image of who he looks like. Not by our power, but by his ability that lives within us. So that we can see the hand of God transform society at large because we value what's important to him. I think a lot of talk on revival and awakening, we don't see come to fruition only because we are expecting God to come to our level instead of us come up to where he is. And that's hard to think about. Because how much do we need to do? Well, you're never going to know that. All you need to know is that I'm submitted. I give myself over to you. You are not only Savior, but Lord. That means every decision and every thought and every attitude and action in my life has to be daily submitted to the Lord. That is hard work, friends. And when people say, you know, how do you have a good marriage to us? Or how do you have kids that love God and things like that? We are not perfect neither. But I will tell you this, that most of the time, they don't want to hear what we have to say. They don't. What they want is, well, let me give you these five steps. And if you do this in six months, everything will be great. It doesn't work like that, friend. But that's what we've been taught in the church. That's how we've been discipled. And that's why we don't see people coming out of poverty. Poverty is not that you don't just have enough money. It's people who don't trust in the word of God that is worth everything to us. 
and we don't value what is written in his word and we try to apply only the parts that we like but we push aside the things that cause us crucifixion. You know, our goal is that our children and those whom we pour into will disciple others after them with testimonies that perpetuate a life of faith and freedom from poverty from a young age. I have no desire, neither does Casey, to, to hear one of our kids say, I got saved out of being a drug lord or a prostitute. Or things like that. And if people come out of those things, man, praise God. But there's something about not only generational curses, but generational blessing. And our goal is to do whatever we possibly can to make sure that our kids don't ever have to go through what we went through and then take it a step farther. Because we don't just need people that stick together. We need people who are on fire for Jesus. We have people who know why they're doing what they're doing and are full of purpose. Abby right now has a desire to help with those coming out of trafficking situations and refugees and things like that. That's a huge vision. That's not something that Casey and I have really been able to touch. We have ministered in situations in the Philippines like that. But that to me is something so far beyond who we are. What Jonathan wants to do. You know, Sierra, we've thought about living in Japan for years. And now our daughter lives there. You know, so sometimes the things that God puts in your heart as a parent for you, what you think is for you to do is actually for your kids to do. And by you living a devoted life to the Lord, you will help your kids fulfill the calling of God upon their life. When we win souls and disciple people, our children and those around us into the image of Christ, that is a goal. Galatians 4.19, this is the amplified classic version Everything else I'm giving you is out of New King James. It says, Paul says, My little children for whom I am again suffering birth pangs until Christ is completely and permanently formed, molded within you. This is the goal of discipleship. Is that we become like Jesus. We look, talk, think, act like him. Every decision is made what we think Jesus would choose to do. 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, this is how Paul preached. Imitate me as I also imitate Christ. <laughs> That's quite a standard. He didn't say, imitate me as I imitate the pastor of the church. I mean, that pastor could be a godly man or woman. That, that Leaders that say, hey, you know, uh, we really love Jesus and they go after God. But the greatest image that we could be like is Jesus. Not just individuals. And our job as individuals, no matter how successful we might think we are in our walk with God and our responsibilities of what God's called us to, the fact of the matter is that it should never be dependent upon us. And that's hard to do when you're establishing a ministry because who's going to pay the bills when nobody's giving? Who's going to, you know, help with the children's ministry? Who's going to do the, the sound and, and all of those things? You know, now you guys have multiple people. Yeah, last night we had all kinds of graduation decorations up here and everything. And at the end, Jimmy came up and said, Hey man, you guys don't need to come back here tonight because we were going to leave here, go out to eat, and then come back, clean up, and go back to the house. He said, We could take care of these things in the morning. And they did. See, this is the blessing of perpetual discipleship that continues, and it's effective. And I know there's a longing and a desire in this church to see people saved and discipled and, and grow in the Lord and, and be used of God in spectacular ways. But what I love about you guys is that you're not going to take shortcuts. And let me encourage you, continue to do what you're doing. You are being faithful. And that's what God is looking for. 
2 Corinthians 8, 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. This is our model of discipleship. You know, when we moved to the Philippines, we didn't really understand what poverty was. I mean, I, I remember struggling when I was growing up in different ways and at times, and, and things were challenging, but not $20 a week for your whole family. Not, not having running water in your home or your own bathroom or being able to cook and, you know, just go to the store and buy what you want. No, you, you, you can't. This is why so many moms and dads, they go gamble the money they have with the hope to just get ahead a little bit. And it never happens. It always becomes worse. And then they get in debt. And this is the cycle of poverty. And this is what we went into and over 20 years ago. And the Lord said, go to the poor. And so we started reaching this area called Agdal. And we're leading people to Jesus and discipling them. And... You know, as an American, I have a certain mindset. And I was very young and immature at the time. So, you know, my expectation was, if you just do this, God will do that. And that's true to a certain level and degree. But God doesn't take shortcuts. You know, if we would choose to be accessible to people that we wouldn't normally choose to be around and to give ourselves to them, they will come to Jesus. But if we give them an ideal and say, when you're eventually up here, then God will use you. Nobody's ever going to measure up. And that's why people don't get saved. And, and then here's the enemy attacking the, the authenticity of the word of God there's people who are coming up with all kinds of other rhymes and reasons of why you can't accept Christianity as being truth. Besides all that in our society and culture. But here's what I still understand and know. That when a man or woman sets themselves on fire, people come to watch them burn. And that fire keeps burning. It doesn't die out with whatever trial or temptation or hardship that we face. This is a little definition of discipleship I wrote. It's being willing to love those who could give nothing back to us the same way Jesus loved us. It may take years of sowing before one disciple matures. Our first church plant in the Philippines, Agdal, which you guys came to in the green building, I remember we had all single people. We had maybe one or two families. And most of the time, the husband was not there. And it was just mom and a bunch of little kids. And our first church plant in the Philippines, we probably had maybe 80 to 100 people in the church. And we're kind of excited, you know, that worship is hot and people are loving Jesus and things like that. But I remember walking in one day and I heard the voice of the Lord say, are you willing to lead these single young adults into being married and growing their families to become leaders? And I thought, oh, that sounds like a long time. My, my plan was to plant a church, raise up a Filipino and go do something else. And all these exciting things, I could write my newsletter. So when Pastor Kevin sees it, he goes, oh, write him a big check. Right? That's how we think. But then we learn to not rely on people. And we trust in God. And he, he kind of gets that junk out of us. Then he asks us to do something that costs us more than what we thought we signed up for. And we start feeding the poor. We start ending up at the hospital in the middle of the night. I have no money. Well, why did you go to the hospital? You're not that sick in the first place. Well, what do you mean? When I'm sick, I'm supposed to do That's what they know. Somebody dies. We have no money, sir. Can you help us with a funeral? You know, I, if we just had a little bit more, if, if I could get an outfit for my son or daughter, they can go to school. They don't have the uniform. I, I, there's so many things over the years that we 
Nobody was forcing us to do it, but we had to do it. Every time somebody comes to my house, I have to pay for the taxi. They don't have that money. Because if they take the Jeep, they come two hours later, and by that time, I want to go to bed. There's, there's, there's issues, right? It's like I said, this pastor's gathering in the beginning. Why do you have to feed everybody, Eric? It's a cultural thing there. I already asked the pastor, hey, you know, what do you think if we didn't feed people? Oh, no, no, no. Okay. And then I hear in the back of my, my mind, Jesus say, you feed them. How, Lord? Hold on, take a DNA test. <laughs> Waiting on people to come and mature in the Lord takes a long time. But if you want to see people set free from a poverty mentality, you've got to be willing to give yourself to them. And I'm not just talking to the pastors here. Everybody here is called to make disciples. You need to get rid of that poverty mentality to think that God can't use you because you don't have money. I believe that once. And then the Lord said, I want you to feed 100 kids and go to the States in two months. 17, 18 years ago. Every week, I want you to feed those kids. Because I saw a mama in our community who was feeding like two or three kids out of her own money, and they didn't make anything. And I was convicted by it. And the Lord said, I want you to do it. Oh, but Lord, I'm a revivalist. I don't you know, mess with kids. He says, but I do. And so, okay, Lord, I don't know how that's going to happen. Mike Bailey has a pastor friend come from Arkansas. Never met him before. Pastor Scott, he, he is visiting Mike, another missionary. Okay, I'm not going to tell him about what's going on with us, you know. You don't want to steal somebody else's supporter. <laughs> but Mike says, man, he really wants to come and see your feeding program. I said, okay, cool. So I come and see it, and they're just kind of talking and stuff. And he, Pastor Scott walks over and he goes, man, this is amazing. This is a month after the Lord spoke to me about going to the States and raising up 100 sponsors to support 100 kids. He goes, this is amazing. Hey, what's the chance of you coming to my church in October? Next month? <laughs> yeah. He said, well, we'll get some support and, and you know, maybe you could set up some other churches I, and we'll, we'll get some kids sponsored. Like, okay, I guess I'm supposed to go. Go there, 100 kids get sponsored for the last 17 years. We've had 100 to 120 kids. Right now we have 120 that are sponsored every year. It amazes me how when God says do something and it challenges our flesh, that he's trying to remove the poverty mentality so that we can believe him. What if God told you to feed Auburndale? Yeah. <laughs> well, we don't have any billionaires here, Lord. Uh, I have it. The Lord has it. I mean, I, I'm not saying we have to stop and do every sing, meet every single need around us. There's two types of callings. There's the need calling, and then there's your individual personal calling. You set yourself in a circle and you don't go outside that circle. And you know what you're supposed to do, but then within your circle you meet needs that are around you. You can't meet the needs of everybody in the Philippines or India or Mexico or wherever it might be. Or down the street. But this is why we become a people of prayer. Because when we're led by the Holy Spirit, he takes away all our excuses and reasons of why we can or can't do anything. And, he, and we say, but it's not my budget. Well, put it in your budget. I remember when the Lord challenged Casey and I when we were leaving for the Philippines in 2003. I had a Honda Accord that we had paid off. And I was going to sell it so we could buy a vehicle and have at least about four grand to go with us to the Philippines. I was like, praise God, man. We're in good position financially. Then we're sitting in a church two months before we're, or less than two months, a month and a half before we're supposed to go. Man makes his plans, but the Lord ordains his steps. While I'm sitting there worshiping, 
I hear the Lord say to this couple in front of us, he says, give them your Honda. Jesus, thank you, Lord. We worship you, God. And I don't know if Casey heard the same thing or not, or if I said something to her, but I just remember us agreeing that we were supposed to do that. I said, here. You know, it might not seem like a lot of money, but maybe, maybe it does. The point is, is that when we give up what has a hold on us in order to make disciples, we're going to see people get set free from a poverty mentality. We're going to see people give up and surrender their will and do the things that you long for people to do in their lives for Jesus because they're not just going to do it based on our word. They're going to do it by seeing us put into practice what we believe. Let me give you some scriptures to feed our vision of how our love for the poor can transform those, those around us. 1 Samuel 2 verse 8. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the beggar from the ash heap to set among princes, set them among princes and make them inherit a throne of glory. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and he has set the world upon them. There are sons and daughters that we pour into. Matthew 25, verse 40. And the king will answer and say to them, Surely I say to you, as, inasmuch as you did this to the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. When I thought about that verse, when we started the feeding program, I realized that every kid we're feeding is as if we're feeding Jesus. If he said, I'm hungry. I mean, would you... Deny Jesus? <laughs> Sorry, Lord. People did that. They said they were going to be there, but they weren't when he died on the cross alone. And when God asks you to do something, sometimes it seems like you're sitting on that cross alone. And until you step out and do something is when God will bring people to help. Or help from all kinds of different directions that you didn't know was even possible. I want to go to Deuteronomy 15. Deuteronomy chapter 15. And starting in verse 1, it says, At the end of every seven years, you shall grant a release of debts. And this is the form of the release. Every creditor who has lent anything to his neighbor shall release it. He shall not require it of his neighbor or his brother, because it is called the Lord's release. I think we need to bring this back. Of a foreigner, you may require it, but you shall give up your claim to what is owed by your brother, except when there may be no poor among you, for the Lord will greatly bless you in the land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess as an inheritance. Only if you carefully obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe with care all these commandments which I command you today. For the Lord your God will bless you. Just as he promised you. You shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. You shall reign over many nations, but they shall not reign over you. Now he's talking to Israel. And in a summary of those six verses there, I wrote this. When we are born again, we are set free from sin, slavery, and anointed to bless the nations. The fact is that there are debts that are canceled when we're born again. Sin that is forgiven. Curses that are broken over our lives. This is what the blood of Jesus does. And the whole purpose of doing that is so that Christ would be formed in us that we might become a light and salt, a blessing to our neighbors and to the nations. That's what the church should be. The church should not be a place where we just tell everybody what to do. It should be a place where we say you can experience freedom in Jesus and we all stand the same height at Calvary and because of that, God can use you just as much as he can use me. Yeah. 
And so I am going to disciple you in a way to help you come out of some of the poverty mentality thinking that you have so that you could do the things that you've seen us do and what you read that Jesus and the disciples do in his word and have vision that God can do that in and through your life. That should be our goal. I want people to excel above us and beyond us. I really want to. That's why we want to set such a high standard of living. And again, I'm not saying we're perfect. We are not. I have my own issues that I have the Holy Spirit convict me of. But the, 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 the reason of why we live consistent and, and with a life of integrity is so that the Lord can develop in us discipleship skills. So that people can benefit from it and say, okay, that's what that looks like. And apply it to their own life and therefore also become effective bringing change in our culture and society around us. Let's read verses 7 through 11. If there is among you a poor man of your brethren with, within any of the gates in your land which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand from your poor brother, but you shall open your hand wide to him and willingly lend him sufficient for his need, whatever he needs. Beware, lest there be a wicked thought in your heart, saying, The seventh year, the year of release, is at hand, and you and your eye be evil against your poor brother, and you give him nothing. And he cry out to you, to the Lord against you, and it becomes sin among you. You shall surely give to him, and your heart should not be grieved when you give to him, because this thing the Lord your God will bless you in all your works and in all to which you put your hand. For the poor will never cease from the land. Therefore I command you, I command you, saying you shall open your hand wide to your brother, to your poor and your needy in your land. Listen, discipling the poor requires us laying down our lives for Christ to be formed in others. You know, Jesus said as well that the poor will always be among you. Why? Because there's always going to be sin in the world until this world is redeemed and judged. And I am concerned for that because I have recent family members who've just passed away and I don't think that they were right with God. One for sure. And, and it, that bothers me. Because I've known this person. I'm 49 years old. I'll be 50 in October. And when you know people that long, and then suddenly they're gone, and you don't know where they're at, it's grievous to me. And I think, Lord, while we're trying to disciple people on the other side of the world, would you please take care of my family? Would you please send a Christian that would be as on fire as we are on that side of the world to go to them? And unfortunately, I don't always see that happen. And it, and it concerns me because we cannot be in more than one place at a time. But yet, we're praying diligently, God, you're omniscient, you're omnipresent. Have mercy, God, on souls that don't know you on places and people that we grew up and people that we know. God, pour out your spirit. You know, unless we value those Jesus gave himself for, what will the Lord do when the church decides they cannot help to, and answer the cries of the poor? What will we do? I mean, this bothers me when I read this scripture yesterday that there are people that don't give of themselves. I'm not just talking about money. They don't give of their ability because they save everything for themselves. America is so blessed. More than you know. And I will tell you, it's not just financially. But there is a mindset that's been affected by the word of God that's still in this country that there's still a consciousness of what is right and what's wrong. 
as bad as things are, it's not that bad. Go to North Korea. Go to the Sudan. You know, we used to say go to Iran. Now, Iran has one of the most powerful revivals taking place in the world, and it's underground. Because people decided that it's important to disciple people. Even if it costs me my life. Look, if your Christianity doesn't cost you everything and it costs Jesus everything, is that fair? I'm not saying that you have to pay the price to receive salvation or forgiveness. Not at all. But what I am saying is how grateful are we? Do we really understand what it is the Lord's done for us? We have to get into the presence of the Lord and ask these questions and say, Lord, I don't understand these things. Help me to understand. Twist my heart into position so that you can move in through me in a way that I never thought you would. Verses 12 through 18. If your brother, a Hebrew man or a Hebrew woman, is sold to you and serves you six years, then in the seventh year you shall let him go free from you. And when you send him away free from you, you shall not let him go away empty-handed. You shall supply him liberally from your flock, from your threshing floor, from your wine press, from what the Lord your God has blessed you with, you shall give to him. This is somebody who was technically a slave to somebody. And how God was saying you should treat your slave. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God redeemed you. Therefore I command you this thing today. And if it happens that he says to you, I will not go away from you because he loves you and your house, and since he prospers with you, then you shall take an awl and thrust it through his ear to the door, and he shall be your servant forever. I'm not going to talk about slavery this morning. It's a whole other issue. But if you read between the lines here and understand what the Lord is trying to say to us. See, Paul, when he gave his life to the Lord, didn't know that one day he would call himself a bondservant of the Lord. I'm a slave of God. Not because he felt like he has to serve God. But he got to because God has been so good to him. And so his desire to serve the Lord and to disciple others and be patient with them and bring them out from poverty of sin into a hope that is an everlasting hope that God wants to use them even right now is something that Paul willingly gave his life for. And then also your female servant, you shall do likewise. It shall not seem hard to you when you send him away free from you, for he has been worth a double hired servant in serving you six years. Then the Lord your God will bless you in all that you do. We disciple the poor not to control them or to take advantage of them, but to release them into their destiny. We don't make slaves of people. When, when they come into church. Do you know why some people leave churches? Because they don't feel respected and honored. And they just feel like they're given a job without having relationship. But when you're a church that focuses on relationship and community, then what people do comes from their heart, not because the pastor is saying, I'm the authority and I'm telling everybody what to do. You know, the greatest among you shall be the servant to all. That is the standard we are to set in discipleship. Last few verses here and we'll be done. Verses 19 through 23. All the firstborn males that come from your herd and your flock, you shall sanctify to the Lord your God. You shall do no work with the firstborn of your herd, nor shear the firstborn of your flock. You and your household shall eat it before the Lord your God year by year in the place which the Lord chooses. But if there is a defect in it, 
If it is lame or blind or has any serious defect, you shall not sacrifice it to the Lord your God. You may eat it within your gates. The unclean and the clean person alike may eat it as if it were a gazelle or a deer. Only you shall not eat its blood. You shall pour it out on the ground like water. You know, no matter what discipleship success we have, our goal must always be to give our best to the Lord. Our best. Not holding back anything. If, if, if you've been in this church for any period of time, it's going to be hard for you to hold back what God's called you to do. Because when you're a relational body, there's a sense of not demand, but expectancy that everybody pulls their own weight. And so if somebody is able to give $1,000 a month and you give $10 a month, you pull your weight. You do what you're supposed to do. If you got more time than other people, if you say, I, I want to make sure that I'm always there at prayer meetings or Monday night, I would encourage you to come to the discipleship group every Tuesday night. I'm telling you, the more that we value those things and center our lives around what we believe the Lord has given us in our lives, then we stop saying, where is God? He's actually here. He's just looking for us to align with him. And the more that we do so, the more change that we'll see. We are responsible to change. You and I are not responsible for corporate revival. We're responsible to allow personal revival in our heart. You know, in Matthew 3, 5, verse 3, Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus did not say, Blessed are the poor. Some people think that. There is no blessing in being poor. There's none. But Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Where you depend upon him. As you used to depend upon money. You used to depend upon food. Or whatever thing brought you some type of security. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. If we want the kingdom of heaven, we have to be willing to value him above everything else in our lives. And as he transforms our hearts to align with his word, then things will happen among us that we dream about. I truly believe that. You know, what Jesus was saying is that when we're poor in spirit, we'll become dependent on him. When we learn how to be poor in spirit, the greater impact of our lives will have on this world. Those who are poor in spirit will love the poor whom God is looking to make disciples of. Thank you for listening to Revival Cry with Eric Miller. Please subscribe, rate, and write a review for this podcast on iTunes, cpnshows.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. To find out more or partner with our missions work around the world, please visit us at revivalcry.org. I look forward to being with you next week.